Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome to Talk Zone, the home of motivation with a purpose, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, where we attempt to inspire motivate and challenge you to live and work with purpose once again i'm rich holstrom and my co-host zeke bambolo is right by my side we have a great show planned for you today afghanistan veteran brian fleming is our very special guest he is the author of the book redeployed and we want to take a time to remind you at this moment about where you can also find us when we are away from the talk zone microphones on facebook at mwp radio am on Twitter, Twitter at MWP Radio Man, and of course, right here on the Talk Zone Talk Channel. Zeke, very unique story for Brian Fleming, an Afghanistan veteran, and he calls himself the Blown Up Guy, a very unique nickname. Indeed, and as you get to talk to Brian, you will see he's a very unique person as well. I had the opportunity of meeting Brian a few years ago, and uh, we had a good conversation, and uh, obviously, as he tells his story, which I would not delve into at this point in time, I let him do, be the, the guest as he is uh, to tell us more about his story. But uh, it's amazing to hear how he got the name the blown up guy and what that means, and how he has used that in a very positive, motivating way for others to take courage uh, in life's challenges and so forth. So I uh, can't wait to hear his story again. Well, the best thing about this, Zeke, as everyone knows who listens to the story, listens to the show on a regular basis, knows that we tell very personal stories. And I can't think of anyone more personal than this than somebody who calls themselves the blown up guy. That has to be one of the most personal monikers and nicknames that I've ever heard. And we are all about teaching you and showing you personal stories through every walk of life that will change your mind, change your heart, and change your spirit on a weekly basis here on Motivation with a Purpose. Zeke, I want to ask you this question. What are you looking forward to most uh, in hearing Brian's story once again, if I was to ask you that question? question i think it's just the reality and the um significance of the situation that brian went through um i mean a lot of times we hear these incredible stories and uh, uh just but what what uh is hearing again i see goals he net race everything in terms of what happened with this with this life back then in iraq and and so forth and then how that has transitioned so i think it's just the essence of the, the story the essence of the, of the person the man the way that's impacted his own personal family and, and what he's been doing with that message across the united states and and so forth so that's uh that's where I am this morning, just kind of re, almost kind of getting back with an old friend, I guess, if I can call it that. Sounds like, Zeke, you are like me, getting ready to be sh- shaked up like we've never been shaken up this morning, especially as we look back at the 12-year anniversary of 9-11. Let's get started. Brian Fleming is a combat-wounded veteran from the war in Afghanistan. He was blown up twice and severely injured when a suicide bomber exploded just three feet away from him in Kanduhar. Now he's an international speaker and a number one best-selling author with the book Redeployed. Brian Fleming has entertained, inspired, and empowered countless thousands in audiences all across the globe, ranging from groups of just 30 to 30,000 at a time. His unique, straightforward, one-of-a-kind message of victory over extreme adversity is humorously inspiring and personifies the triumph of the human spirit. And it's my pleasure to welcome Brian Fleming to the Motivation with a Purpose microphones. Brian, good morning. Great to have you on the show. Well, thank you. It's it's a privilege to be on. Thank you for having me. Brian, i got to ask you, let's get right to it. The moniker, the blown-up guy. That's pretty extreme. And what made you what made you decide on what made you decide on that, Brian? 
Well, uh, well, I got I got blown up. Uh, number one, <laughs> obviously. Um, I actually I didn't do it to be funny. Um, it turns out a lot of people actually find it very very uh, funny. Uh, when, when I talk about it, I incorporate a lot of humor into my talks. Um, but where that came from, blown up guy. And I want to say this. I want to preface it with this. There are tens of thousands of guys just like me who have been blown up and even far worse injured than I was. And so I'm not by any means the only one. But where that title, the blown up guy, came from was when I got out of the hospital after being burned severely and all the burn treatment and reconstructive surgery, um, I would go out and people would ask me to come talk and share my experiences with their churches, their organizations, and or whoever it was. And when I would arrive, a lot of people, you know, who had maybe heard me speak before, they would say, hey, uh, so-and-so, you know, they couldn't remember my name, but they'd say, hey, aren't you that guy who got blown up? And I said, you know, yes, me and a lot of other guys. And so, uh, really, I just thought, well, what's an easy way for them to find me? Well, they all remember me as that guy who got blown up. And so that's how blownupguy.com was born. Brian, this is Zeke, man. Nice to talk to you again after a long time. So give us an opportunity here, and please uh, tell us a little bit about the story of your incidents with uh, with being blown up to begin with. You know, what what happened? Can you can you kind of re-orchestrate uh, that old uh, setting for us? No, absolutely. And, and Zeke, it's great to talk to you again, man. It's been a few years. I think uh, I think you and I met out in Los Angeles, uh, if I remember correctly. Indeed, and, indeed. Uh, yeah. No. And, uh, well, anyways, um, great talking to you again. And, again, uh, personally, thank you for having me on. And to, to answer your question, um, I, uh, I deployed uh, with the U.S. Army's 10th Mountain Division as an infantry soldier in a scout sniper platoon in 2006 uh, to Afghanistan. Um, there were two scout squads. We had two sniper squads. I was a team leader in one of the uh, platoon scout squads. And while I was in country, uh, just about a month after we arrived in uh, April of 2006, April 18th, to be more specific, um, my my vehicle ran over a bomb. It was a, a double stack of anti-tank mines that were buried in the road, and it blew up my vehicle. It set it on fire, blew it to pieces. Um, nobody died. Uh, two of my guys were injured. Um, I had to drag one of my guys out of the burning vehicle because he was partially conscious, and um, he and the other guy both returned to duty about a month later, and... Uh, a very, uh, very unique event, obviously. But the fact that nobody died is miraculous. But you know, I think it's even more miraculous that with that vehicle, um, you know, being inside that vehicle when it exploded. I mean, I walked away from that vehicle without a scratch on me. In fact, if your listeners go to blownupguy.com, uh, there's actually a button there that says "blown up pictures," and you can actually see the pictures uh, that I'm referring to um, right now in this conversation. Um, because I have pictures of both vehicles. Um, so I, I was blown up twice total. And uh, you know, I'm always told that third time's a charm, but thank God, <laughs> twice was enough, and I wasn't around for a third time. I'm very fortunate to be here. Um, a lot of my friends have not been so fortunate. Um, but what happened the second time was uh, I was in the, I was the truck commander of the lead vehicle in about a 15-vehicle convoy driving south on Highway 1 through Kandahar. And we were almost to our destination when a white minivan pulled out in front of us and he slowed down. And basically, uh, my driver went to pass him on the left, much like you would pass somebody going down the interstate on their left while I was in the passenger seat. And so uh, that put me about three feet away from this minivan. And as, as we uh, got right up next to it, passing him on the left, uh, he blew himself and his minivan into about 10,000 pieces right there in the middle of the road. And... uh I don't remember anything happening. The first thing I do recall um, after regaining consciousness is that um, I was laying in a ditch on the side of the road. Uh, my face, my hands, face, and neck were all second and third degree burns. Uh, I had blood pouring out of my face. I had blood all over me. It was my blood. Um, there were car parts and body parts littered all over the place. I had no idea what happened. Um, my first question was to myself, my first thought was, uh, why would I go to sleep here? Because I look back and it's kind of funny now to me, but you know, I, I couldn't figure out why I was laying in a ditch. I, I had no idea anything had happened. And I've been uh, burned in that. And, and I, I'm happy to report, too, that that suicide bomber was the only person to die that day. And so you know, my hat's off to, off to him. You know, mission accomplished. He went there to die that day. 
and commit suicide, and that was exactly what he did, and he failed to take any of us with him. And uh, following that explosion, I spent the, uh, the following 14 months at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, um, enduring the burn treatment and the reconstructive surgery and all the, all the burn treatment, you know, they have to scrape your skin off the, you know, with razor blades, the burn skin to keep you awake. It's, you know, it's the worst pain imaginable, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I'm extremely fortunate. Um, you know, I've, I'm very much a person of faith and I really feel God's been good to me. And, uh, that's one big reason I have this great desire to go help other people and share what I've learned through that experience. Brian, um, as we crack into this conversation, I'm going to you know, put it out there right quick, and you know, it'll give you a chance to start to uh, touch our hearts a little bit. But um, we we did this show and wanted to invite you personally on because we were thinking of the the anniversary of 9/11. I okay. too happen to have a, a, a couple of close uh, acquaintances, you know, that I almost call you know kind of sons and little brothers who are currently. Serving out in you know in uh, the, the war on terror, and uh, I want you to just capture this whole thought for us as what it means to you as a veteran, and talking about what's going on and what happened in, in Afghanistan. I caught you to be you know you got you blown up twice. And I mean, what does the significance of this 9/11, this day, and so forth, and this week in essence bring to you as a veteran, sir? Well, it's a very sobering week because you know I, I think it's true of all of us. Everybody probably remembers where they were um, years back when this, when this took place, uh, just over a decade ago, about 12 years ago, when when 9/11 happened, and uh, you know our, our country was attacked, our families were, you know, many, many of our friends and family were killed in that, and uh, it's something that obviously we'll never forget. And you know, one thing I, I always say to a lot of people, and in particular with my work with veterans and military, you know, a lot of people try and suppress the things that. Uh, are very unpleasant to remember. And one thing I always tell them is that, uh, you know, remembering our pain can be uncomfortable, but forgetting our pain is tragic. And the reason it's tragic is because when we go through things in life, there are lessons that we learn that may not only make us better, but there's somebody else out there that needs to hear about your life experience and what you've learned through it. And, you know, I think that really just personifies, you know, the... The life. I mean, it was a deadly week back on September 11, 2001. But also, I, I, I look at September 12th of 2001, when everybody united together, people were taking care of each other, and it's it's unfortunate that it would take a tragedy of that magnitude to to unite people and to to just choose to drop their barriers and love their fellow human beings. But um, it's definitely a week to remember, a day to remember. And to honor those who didn't make it, and and just remember why we're here, and that's that's to help and serve other people. Brian, uh, I would like to ask you another question. You talked about learning from the pain, learning from the pain, and learning to move forward. Help us take that very first step if we're going through a situation. Uh, similar to the ones we're talking about, or not even similar through the to the ones that we're talking about. How do we take that first step of moving through the pain and making something positive out of it? Give us some practical steps on how we can okay. do that. Well, I can tell you for me, I had a lot of preconceived notions and hang-ups of my own, but here's one thing I had on my side. I've always been willing um, to see what can, what can come about through a situation, or I've always been willing to take somebody's advice or hear what other people had to say. And that kind of segues into what made the greatest difference in my life. You know, five months after I was blown up, I actually met a man who would later become one of my very best friends and my mentor. And he's the one who taught me how to use what happened to me as a means for a greater good and to share it with other people. And it's interesting because the first time, you know, this this is sort of how it unfolded. He and I met. He was an injured Vietnam veteran. You know, he'd been blown up in Vietnam and injured twice, and you know, he'd made it through. And he was doing a patriotic rally about a month after um, after he and I met, and he asked me if I wanted to come and be a part of it. And so I agreed to that, and I said, sure, you know, I'll, I'll come on up. And so he flew me up to the event where he was speaking, 
what I didn't know he was going to do is put me up on stage in front of 3,000 people. And so, wow. yeah, I'm, I'm still wrapped up in burn bandages. I mean, I still look. I mean, you can tell something happened to me even still. Now, now today you can't really tell because I've healed so well, and I'm very fortunate for that. But at that point, I was still in burn bandages, and he asked me to come up there and tell him about myself. And so I got up, and I, I basically said, hi, you know, my name is Brian. I guess I'm still here for a reason. I'll go for it. I mean, nothing I would call inspiring. I wasn't trying to be some sort of inspirational guy. I was just trying not to drag it down to the obvious bad place that I was at the time. And I wanted to leave him with somewhat of hope. And I, I didn't feel like he really did anything. I, I didn't intend on speaking. And I, I didn't think it would really do anything for anybody. But here was like the game changer. This, this is like what I call like the one degree shift that changed the complete direction of my life. After that talk, there was a young lady who walked up to me and she all of a sudden began telling me about something she had gone through, something that happened to her, something very personal and very tragic that I, I was, I had the feeling she probably hadn't even told anybody this, even her family maybe that she had gone through this. It was something very personal and tragic. And she tagged this on the end. It wasn't what she said in the beginning. I mean, you know, we related on pain, and that's an important key. But what she said at the very end of that statement is what changed my life, and it was this. She said, you know, Brian, she said, if you can get through all of that, if you can get through what you went through, I think I can get through what I'm going through. Now, why did that that have an an effect on me as it did? It was a life-changing effect. Well, here's the reason. Because now, for the very first time, all of the hell, all of the pain, all of the excruciating agony that I had gone through, for the very first time, I realized it had just given another human being hope. It gave somebody hope. And I didn't know, I didn't know even what that feeling was. It was so new to me. It was the first time. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I, I wanted to keep having that feeling, and I knew I needed to keep doing whatever it is that I had just done. And I told that to Dave, my mentor, and he said, don't worry, I'll show you how to do more with it. And he has. And so that's been a really great key. I think in a roundabout way to come back to what your question was, one of the big keys is that I was willing to move forward. I wanted to move forward. I was willing to hear other people and other experiences that could help me. And I had a mentor, somebody who showed me how to do something with it, somebody who had been in my shoes and successfully gotten out where he was, somebody who was once down but he didn't stay there. And I wanted to be where he was, so to speak. Excellent, Brian. More with Brian Fleming, the blown-up guy, on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this timeout. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Yes, yes, indeed. This is Motivation with a Purpose here on TalkZone.com, where we try to motivate you for the right reasons that you will behave as such. And we also have with us today a, a, a very fantastic guest in Brian Fleming. He is the blown-up guy. Uh, he has given us a, a, a tremendous lift already in his converse, in our conversation with him. And, Rich, I want to pass this back over to you because I think you have a good question for that may involve some current events for Brian. Sure. Brian, i got to ask you, there have been some recent developments in Afghanistan in the last 24 hours. What are your thoughts? Uh, actually, I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't watched the news in the past 48, so I'm not entirely sure what you may be referring to. Well, let me give you a capsule version as far as I as far as I know things I haven't watched uh, too much news but uh, several news reports have a US consulate uh, in Afghanistan has been attacked in Herat and uh, numerous uh, suicide bombers were involved uh, everyone on staff for the United States to this to this point and to my knowledge is all right but uh, obviously, Similar to your situation, uh, things just continue to spiral out of control in Afghanistan and all over that part of the that part of the world. Well, I, uh, I, I'd, be, I'd be very careful in saying that that they're spiraling out of control. I was actually back in Afghanistan about four months ago, 
Um, and you know, I was doing a speaking tour for the troops, and I'm, I'm not going to dismiss it and say it's it's not bad, but you know, there are cities actually there are, there are cities in America where there are more more murders every month than the entire war-torn nation of Afghanistan, uh, all of them combined. Uh, it's definitely a, a pretty bad place. It's obviously a war zone. It's the summertime. It's the Taliban's you know strongest time of year because it's not freezing cold. They don't have the the cold weather combat capabilities we do. So the summertime is is their is their field day, so to speak. Um, you know, and one thing though, you know, I was there back in 2006, and then I was back just a few months ago, and that country has made incredible night and day progress from where it used to be. Uh, the, the government's taken back a lot of it. You know, the Afghans have taken back a lot of their country from the Taliban. I mean, there are some parts where I was where the Taliban can't pop their head off. They can't pop their head up anywhere and try and do something without getting their head blown off because the people are, you know, the people of Afghanistan hate the Taliban because they oppress them and they, they kill their families and they want to take from them. And so uh, it's definitely not finished, but... Um, they, they have more control now. That was my understanding from one of the ground commanders who personally told me that uh, than we have in many recent years. And that's, that's sort of what you know, our last big, last-ditch effort is with handing off uh, the responsibilities to their government to sustain as we gradually pull out of Afghanistan over the next 12 to 15 months. Brian, I appreciate the update, and I appreciate being corrected by you because that's one of the reasons we want to have we wanted to have you on the show is to give that real personal knowledge of the situation so that we can learn and become better uh, stewards of history and better stewards of life, and uh, you know, really just understand different parts of the different parts of the world. What do you think is the most misunderstood thing about? Afghanistan or some of those other parts of the world that we are involved in right now? Well, I mean, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, we're trying to change their, their way of life. And I, and I understand how, you know, people could interpret that, um, you know, you know, saying they've been this way for thousands of years and killing each other. And they always will be. I mean, you know what? A lot of that, a lot of that's true. But at the same time, I mean, there's, a, there's even a young generation over there. I'm 28 years old. <laughs> you know, there's a generation over there that just wants to live life and succeed and have families. I mean, a lot of those, I mean, those people, a lot of them are just like us. I mean, they just want to live. You know, they don't want to be oppressed and they don't want to, you know, be terrorists. I mean, there are, there are definitely people out there who do have those desires. Um, but I think that's, I think that's something people need to be careful about believing. Um, and maybe you could take this as an example for me. Um, I think I would be correct in saying that. Uh, somebody with my background, with my background and experience, probably has every excuse in the world to hate every person that's a Muslim. <laughs> I think it would be true to say that, and trust me, I have every reason to. I've had uh, several encounters that were not very pleasant ones, and they were very destructive ones on either side or both at, at times. But I do. I, I'm not. I'm not so ignorant to tell myself that every person that espouses to the same belief system, but it's not so extreme as others, is a threat to me, or that they're a terrorist. And so I, I think we just, you know, we just, as a society and as a, as a world, I think we just kind of need to get back to the, to the basics. I mean, there's so much hype out there. And, you know, the media, I mean, I appreciate news media, but there is a lot of it that I just hate. I can't stand it because it's nothing but, but stirring people up against each other um, by putting their own spin on it. And that obviously happens all, all over the place. And, uh, you know, I, I only speak from my personal experience. Um, as far as what I know about these situations going on in the world, my source of information is not the news media, which is probably not true for most of action. Um, I, get my, I get my information from people who are actually over and are still over there and are coming back. And I have a lot of, a lot of friends who go over there and come back, and people... I've had privileges of, of getting to know who are in, in uh, you know, share with me. And it's, 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 uh, <laughs> it's quite a different picture than, than most people think. And it's, it's just sad that it, it'll never get reported. Uh, I think in my opinion, the truth of how it really is. Ryan, you know, I, 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 I sympathize with a lot of things you're saying there. And I want to, uh, purpose my next question and, be, and just kind of get your opinion 
because, but first of all, I must say that, you know, as you're talking about the difference in what was Afghanistan when you were there and what it is today, four months, however many later that you, that you were just there, uh, yeah. and there's a huge difference because I saw the same thing coming from a war to Liberia, West Africa, and being in the midst of the war and seeing the destruction and going back, you know, some 17 years later for me, in my case, and seeing uh, the difference as a, and even then, I haven't been back in the last couple, two, three years, but I still, uh, I hear the stories uh, and I see pictures and it's amazing knowing what I saw even when I was there in 2008, for example, what I saw and what I see now in images are completely different. So there is an improvement in life. But I think I like, I mean, I, you may not be, you know, the, necessarily the politician to answer it. Cause I, but a lot of times I think people are caught up, Brian, in the fact that we're having these conversations and there is a, a, a bigger ulterior motive from a government standpoint sometimes that seems to, uh, in my case, I will speak again for myself as you're speaking for yourself. In, in Liberia, as much as what was going on, a lot was going on behind the scenes uh, in terms of the Secretary of State for African Affairs involvement in their decision not to be involved in Liberia and then that it prolonged into a 14-year war. Not to blame the yeah. U.S. or anything, but that's not the case. But there are things that are happening behind the scenes that many people are concerned about, when, and that's where the whole mix of, oh, should we be involved, should we not be involved? You know, so when yeah. you, as a veteran, how do you approach that, that discussion of, well, the bigger political picture as opposed to what's happened to the little man on the ground, Afghanistan, and the little infantry soldier, whatever you want to call them? But the, are, are they insignificant to the bigger the bigger scheme of things. How, how do you how do you answer a question like that? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that you know just, and I think everyone knows this. I, I have no agenda. <laughs> like in my opinion, I'm not a politician. I'll never be one. I don't. I have no desire to be one. Um, you know, if I was a politician, I think gunfire would go in both directions, and it wouldn't be good for anybody, so to speak. Um, you know, it just, and I say that humorously, but. Um, I have no agenda in, in like in my perception. I just know what I'm being told and my, what I've experienced and what I'm being told by people over there. One thing I can tell you, a big difference that I saw, like a very practical example. Uh, for example, when I was there in 2006, there, you know, the, the, the Afghanistan government was still trying to really get a foothold established and, a, and, and to build a foundation on which they could they could successfully move into the future and sustain and defend themselves over there and. There were a lot of cases where sometimes the ANP or the ANA, which is their police force and their, their Afghan army, um, would go on missions with us. But the, the whole mindset was, well, let the Americans go first. And in many cases, we did. And, you know, a lot of times we'd get frustrated with that and we'd say, hey, you know, this is your country. You need to get out there and start doing this, too. And if we're going to die for your country, you better be willing to also. And there was a lot of that mindset. There wasn't a lot of structure in their military not nearly as much as there is now. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people look at a lot of, a lot of uh, the people from that side of the world and might think, well, they're just, they're just you know, poverty-stricken and they're this and they're that. I'll tell you what, those, those men over there, those Afghan men who are in the military, those men are stinking warriors, man. I mean, like, if, I mean, if Taliban pops up somewhere, I mean, they run them down. They run them down like a dog. I mean, they... They take control of that situation, and they're going to die trying. I mean, like, in a, when you live in a, in a country like that, you have nothing to lose. I mean, and those guys, they have nothing to lose because if Taliban takes them back, then they're just back where they used to be, and they don't want to go back to that, at least, you know, a lot of them that I've had the privilege to talk to. And so um, now what's different, like when I was there four or five months ago, is that they're so well-structured now in they have a chain of command structure, and they're they're learning about the rank structure, and they're they're integrating that and and operating more as a, a stronger modern military force than they did back when I was there initially. And so there's been a lot of progress made there. They're choking off supply routes to the Taliban and and all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly I certainly appreciate that 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 viewpoint as well. And I think you know we um, again speaking for myself and my experience, that's that's always a very significant discussion to to broach there. But uh, Brian, um, you've you've been doing some things with training people and so forth, and uh, you've got a, the new book uh, redeployed. Uh, I want you to tell us a little bit about it, but then I want us to segue if we can because I think part of what you're talking about may involve some. Uh, PTSD or something like that. So could you kind of tell us about the new book, what's going on there, and uh, what motivated that new book? Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, 
Well, first of all, the foundation of everything I do is trying to help it is to help other people with what I've learned. And I never used to live my life like that until I woke up in a ditch on the side of the road from that suicide attack in Kandahar. That was a defining moment in my life. And everything I do, and this is a roundabout way to answer your question, but everything I do revolves around two questions I asked that day when I thought I was going to die and I didn't know if I was going to make it out of there alive. And two questions I asked myself were, one, what did I do with my life that mattered? And number two, what did I do for other people? So what did I do with my life that mattered and what did I do for other people? And in that moment of chaos after the, after the attack, I honestly could not answer that question for myself. I didn't feel like I had done enough. My life was about to be over as far as I knew. I was 21 years old. And it's just like, God, if you give me one more chance, I will answer those questions. I will make it count. And I've been given my second chance. And that's the reason I wrote redeployed because, uh, I mean, my first book, Never the Same, was about my war experience in Afghanistan. It was while I was there. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of, so to speak, I take people on patrol with me and I talk about my experiences. But redeployed, you see, you know, you can go to war in a foreign country, but when you come home, there's another war that begins because you're not the same person. You react to things differently because what was once normal has now become very abnormal. And now you're coming back to a society where there aren't suicide bombers around every corner. There are not bombs buried in the road, thank God. And there are not people who are just going to pop out of a window and typically shoot you, not in the average American city or the typical place. And so I wrote Redeployed. In fact, this is the first book I ever co-authored. I invited my good friend Chad Robichaud to co-author the book with me because Chad was a United States Marine. He was... Marine Force Recon, which is the special operations branch of the United States Marine Corps. And uh, he went over to Afghanistan eight different times um, after getting out. And he did some civilian work, government jobs, um, you know, and stuff like that. So he, he actually went over eight times, and, and he dealt with post-traumatic stress. Even though he was never combat wounded, he came back and he was very different, almost lost everything, and then pulled it back together. And now he, he does what I do now. And so... The reason I asked him to co-author it with me is because we had two similar yet very different experiences. He's about 10 years older than I am, eight or nine years. And so he's a little different generational gap, a little different experience, but still a credible war experience. And we looked at each other and we said, you know, you and I, our marriage has held together since being home. We haven't ended up in prison since being home. We're not addicted to pills and alcohol since being home. And we're looking at each other going, what is it we're doing that all these other guys are not doing? And it, it's ruining their lives. I mean, so many guys, you know, they'll say, you know, I don't have any issues. Yet his wife just walked out on him and his kids hate him. I mean, there's, that, there's an issue there. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I think it's the saddest thing to survive a war and come back just to lose everything that's truly important in life. And from my own perspective, that, that, that right there is our enemy in the Middle East that hates us. That's them actually winning the war over us because their their mission is to destroy our families and our way of life. If we go fight the war and we come home and we lose our family in the process, they've won. And I'm too stubborn to, to sit here and not dig up what it was I was doing that was helping me that I know can help other people. Because for me and Chad, it's not enough to know that something worked. We want to know why it worked. Because we want to take this thing apart and we want to know what what why something worked for us so that we can teach it to other guys. And that's exactly what we do in Redeployed. Um, you know, the, the subtitle is How Combat Veterans Can Fight the Battle Within and Win the War at Home. And honestly, even though even though it has a, like a military wrapping paper, so to speak, it's a military book, it's a book on overcoming tragedy. You don't have to have gone to Afghanistan or Iraq or been in the military um, to benefit from it. If you know somebody who's been through something difficult, they will definitely benefit from it. And I'm also say. I'd like to say we're also very privileged uh, for any of the uh, our mixed martial arts fans out there that uh, you know most of them know who uh, Randy Couture is. Randy Couture is a five-time UFC champion. He's a Hall of Famer. He's very you know he's hugely famous. Well, he actually early in his life he was uh, he began in the army. He said he's also an army veteran, and he did us the privilege of writing the foreword for the book. And so Chad and I we break down a lot of what we talk about and what works for us, and, as, and we speak very much in a military language that's very direct, 
very practical so that people understand it. Brian, what are the top two principles that you would want to communicate to us today from your book, Redeployed, as far as things that we can put in our hands and help those veterans around us to come back to to life here in the United States? What can be some of the things that we can do? So, okay, so just to be clear, you're asking me what you can do to help somebody you may know who's been through something. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I, I just say, you know, everything in life, really, it comes down to other people. It's about what are you doing for other people? And what I would say to somebody who wants to help um, somebody who's been through something, number one, I would just say educate yourself. I mean, sometimes they'll talk to you about things and sometimes they won't. But, you know, if you really want to help somebody, get to know as much as possible about them and what they're going through. Educate yourself. You know, that's one thing a lot of people don't do. Even 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 the veterans, you know, we train for war, and we're very good at what we do. And we go to war, we fight, we win, you know, we come home. You know, yet guys who have these problems sometimes, they'll come home, and then they'll just sit on the couch. And this war, this war within, as we call it, you know, this, you know, post-traumatic stress and the other things, that come with coming home from war. Um, you know, it's a different battlefield that people don't know how to fight. And, uh, you know, the military doesn't, military doesn't necessarily equip you to, to fight and win that battle. You know, you're, fought, you're, you're trained to fight and win physical battles and wars. And they're doing a lot better now than I think we ever have, but I still think there's a big gap there. And so, you know, to educate, to educate yourself, you know, and I would say the best way you could do that is talk to other veterans who are willing to talk about it. Because, you will get a lot of insight from somebody who maybe doesn't know you. For example, there's a, a, a lady I, I grew up with. We were in the same grade. We went to elementary and junior high and some of high school together up in Michigan. And uh, she, she wrote me last week, and uh, she's about to get married to a guy who, who did a few tours in Iraq. And she was asking, you know, um, what do you know about these things? Or is there anything that, you know, she was reaching out to me. And I, I told her, I said, well, you know what? We can talk, and we did. But I also sent her a, co- a free copy of Redeployed because, you know, I said, there's a lot in here that you're going to learn because we're talking from our experiences. It, it, it comes at it, it comes at issues from a different angle, and well, that's one of the strongest um, assets, I think, of, of Redeployed is that, you know, it's not just for the service member. In fact, our, tar- our, our target audience of the book is, is not the service member. Our target audience, a lot of people think that, but our initial primary target audience was actually family members because, you know, you may know somebody who went to war and they need the help, but we all know that people who need help don't necessarily think they need help or they're not willing to get it. But everybody around them suffers if they don't. And so we, you know, the way we looked at it, we're trying to keep families together. And so this is one way we can give families an in-depth, up-close look at the, at the post-war life of a combat veteran. And, you know, Chad and I, we were both, you know, I don't say this disrespectfully to anybody, but we, we didn't sit on the base for several months. You know, we were out there in it. Well, I mean, we, every day, we, you know, I would leave the base with my platoon, never knowing if we'd come back. We'd get blown up. We'd get into firefights. And, we, you know, we all, everybody had some pretty bad stories from going over there. And so, you know, this isn't written by somebody who went over there and, you know, fortunately for them, didn't have to go out and do that. I mean, I'm glad a lot of people didn't have to go out and do that. If you're infantry, you're definitely going to do it. And, um, you know, that's that's your job, and I knew full well of that when I joined. Um, but this, this book is coming from experience. The institute we offer to veterans and their families, so this is our own experience that we're speaking from, combined with what we know about ourselves and why something helped us. And so I would say the number one thing is just educate yourself. Talk to Talk to other people that can be sources of information. I mean, connect with me on Facebook. I have all kinds of, you know, resources and videos that we've produced and all kinds of stuff that we can we can do. In fact, if, if your listeners go to my website, blownupguy.com, we actually have four or five videos for free they can get. All you have to do is put in your name and email address, and it kicks you right out to a page where we have four or five videos that were professionally produced, and some of them aired on TV. Um, and, you know, us talking about what worked for us. And so I, I hope people will go check those out. Um, you know, I'm not getting anything out of that. They're free. 
it's just uh, it's a way we can help people, and I, I we do that all the time. Brian, thank you so much, guys. I think you've emphasized a couple of very good things. Again, a lot of times we see the outward person, we see the soldier, we see you know the veteran, we see the husband or that or the wife that's come back from war, and too many times we look at the outward and forget that the, the war is really fought internally in our homes, especially, but in our own souls, in our bodies. And so, uh, if we cannot address the internal person, uh, there is very little chance that we will impact the external person. Uh, and external uh, culture. So uh, thank you so much. When we come back, Brian, I want us to talk a little bit more about some of your, you know, again, back to your life and some motivational pieces that we can really give out to our audience here, and we will get around to that. But ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Motivation with the Purpose here on TalkZone.com. And in a few minutes, we'll be right back with our special guest, Brian Fleming, the blown-up guy. It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose right here on TalkZone.com. Our special guest today, veteran Brian Fleming, the author of Redeployed. And we want to talk to you right now, Brian, about some of your outstanding motivational techniques and ideas to successfully turn our lives around. And one thing that you talk about is how to successfully turn adversity into massive productivity. Tell us about that, Brian. Well, you know, I, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I think there's a myth out there. A lot of people say, oh, Brian, you're one of those motivational speakers. And, man, like, that's not what, like, I'm not, a lot of people get a general idea that anybody who speaks is a quote-unquote motivational speaker. Um my, my mission is never to motivate anybody. My mission is to relate to people on a, on a level of pain or, or some other level and really dive deep into their life and, and find out where I can touch on their life to help them to improve uh, their life. And um, I, I think the foundation of it goes back to something we had alluded to and previously discussed. Um, my life, my injury from the war in Afghanistan, from that suicide bomber, it became purpose-driven the first time that somebody walked up to me and told me that, you know, that little two- or three-minute snippet of me telling about what happened gave them hope. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, a lot of people, there are a lot of speakers out there that say they always they have all these secrets and all these techniques and, you know, these ninja uh, Jedi tactics. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I've never really considered myself uh, to quite have that. Um, I just, I know what works for me, and, you know, I, I, I'd say we all have probably the same information, but I would never say it's a secret of any sort or anything like that. Um, you know, my life is just, I've been, I've been privileged to be able to, to speak to people. I had somebody come into my life that showed me how to use what happened to me, and, uh, and that's been a really big key, and there's a lot of keys within that, I guess you could say, and uh, maybe we can dig some more up here in just the next few minutes. Brian, well, yeah, Brian, as you say that, you know, and that's where we want to go. Why don't you continue to kind of just talk with you about those aspects of how you took solace and, indeed, I mean, our show is motivation with a purpose. So how did you wrap yeah. yourself in so so adequately and so nicely in to be motivated to take all of these adversity? I mean, you always make the comment successfully. I mean, attack, being, getting attacked by a suicide bomber never felt so good. Are you serious? What What are you trying to get at here, I man? What do you mean? What do you well, mean by right? that? How do people more, get motivated about your thoughts? Fact, yes, oh, I, I would love to explain. I would love to explain that statement because that's that's been a very often misinterpreted statement by uh, more particularly other veterans. Um, now, here's what I mean by that when I when I say getting attacked by a suicide bomber never felt so good. Obviously, getting blown up does not feel good. It sucked. It was the worst pain imaginable. I, it was, I mean, it was life-threatening, literally. But after coming home and going through all that pain, it's like, you know, some some people look at July 24th, 2006, that day I was hit by that suicide bomber. They, they all look at that as the day I almost died. And that's true. But my take has always been, man, like, looking back on it, that was the day I feel... Maybe, maybe for the first time in my life, I truly began to live. There was a fuse lit that day. After the suicide bomber blew up, there was a fuse lit in my life. And I was 
hell-bent. I was determined. I was, you could say, motivated. I, I, I had to do something. I was, I was searching for an ultimate purpose for the reason of it happening. And I found that the more I shared with people, the more people it helped. And that, that fed into the, the overall, I would say, a personal satisfaction of knowing that it was becoming purpose-driven and there was a reason for it happening. And, you know, a lot of people get addicted to drugs, alcohol, all kinds of addictions. Well, in that same way, not with those destructive things, but when I found this thing that made me feel good by helping people with it, I, I found something that I became addicted to. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, it had to be very uncomfortable to talk about those experiences. And in a way, it may be a little bit at first, but just to be honest, that I've always been very straightforward with what happened. I think a lot of people have this, have this image that somebody who goes through something like that ends up, you know, sitting in a corner cowering and shaking, you know, wearing a straitjacket because they can't handle what happened to them. And, you know, if that's the case with somebody, um, you know, there, there's no less, like, self-respect there or anything. I mean, everybody handles tragedy differently, and I want that to be understood. And I'm not saying this to, to try and sound like a tough guy or anything like that. But really, I mean, from the very beginning, people would say, well, you know, we, you know, we talk about it, and I would just tell them exactly what happened as I recalled it, and it really didn't bother me. I'm just, I'm a very realistic person, and it really hurt. I mean, I would sit in doctor's offices sometimes, and, you know, they'd sit there and say, you know, well, Brian, I see here you got blown up. How did that make you feel? <laughs> and I would just say, well, how do you think it made me feel? I got burned. You know, I got blown up. You know, it stinking hurt. <laughs> I mean, it was, I'm just a very literal guy. I don't, you know, I don't like to really dramatize things. I just, you know, I'm just, I love being very straightforward. I think that's the most honest way to be. And for me, that was one of the, I think it really worked to my advantage, uh, that combined with the fact that I became addicted to helping other people with what happened to me. Because I, and I think it goes back to those two questions we, that we discussed in the, in the previous segment. Those two questions I asked when I didn't know if I was going to survive that day was, what did I do with my life that mattered and what did I do for other people? And in speaking and getting out, telling my story, not just to tell my story, but with the purpose of helping other people, it began answering those questions. Right, you know, I I appreciate you saying that. You know, I think too, um, I I see some similarity, there and I think that's part of what we've connected a little bit over the years. But uh, in the same token, you know, um, people people tend to very much miss the transformational power and aspect of adversity, and we always run to the the, the, the fear of pain. You know, we've been conditioned to to uh, to be, we'll do the best we can to resist pain and fear and for the part for the right you know is fear is not unhealthy it's, it's what we when we fear the wrong thing for the wrong purposes that's what is unhealthy you know I, yeah. my fear of god we're men of faith my fear of god is a healthy fear i still call it fear but it's a healthier respect a reverent fear um when we go through adversity the, the bible also talks about us going through uh, adversity and and that gives an opportunity to comfort others because we have gone through what they're going through. A lot of times when I go tell my story, my wife will ask me the same question. You know, I, I mean, it, it's got to be tough having to talk about that over and over again. What went on in your life back when you were a teenager and everything and, and the Civil War? And yeah, you know, but at the same time, what is what is the transformational aspect that I have taken away from that adversity? That That is what you're reflecting out there. And, and, and so and I think it's, that's the powerful piece that you keep echoing here. Um, and so as you talk about this, Go on, go, go on, Brian. No, well, you just—you really brought a really uh, powerful thought to mind that really is relevant to what you're saying, and I really wanted to make sure that this. And this point I'm about to make is—it could be up for debate. Uh, people could debate this; they could argue it. Um, mainly, it would be uh, people's bearing in, in different belief systems. You know, we all see things through a scope or through a lens, if you will, of our worldview and our belief system. But here's what I've learned, and I'm, I'm sure you could definitely relate to this as well, but people look at what I went through and all that pain, and a lot of times we're tempted to just think about ourselves. And one one realization that changed my life forever, all of this, I think a good way to sum up everything into one, one phrase is to let people know if you've been through something tragic, if you've been through something painful, that tragic and painful experience is not for you. 
Now, it may have happened to you, but it's not for you. It's for somebody else. Because somebody else, I guarantee you, do the same exact thing or something similar. In fact, and I'll give you an example. I have a buddy who, uh, you know, I was only going twice. I had a friend, 15 times, one five. While he was in Iraq, he, uh, everybody was killed except him. And he was severely injured. He came home with a tremendous amount of survival skill, put a pistol in his mouth, and he pulled the trigger. But when he pulled the trigger, the weapon misfired. It did not go off. And two weeks, two weeks almost to the day after he put that pistol in his mouth and he pulled the trigger and it misfired, he came to one of the mentorship programs where I'm an instructor, and he and I were sitting across the conference table from each other talking. He was telling me about this, and he said, you know, Brendan, I believe I'm here for a reason now. You know, misfires don't just happen in those types of situations. I believe I'm here for a reason, and I've been able to help him along. And so tying back into that, my experience wasn't for me. I believe my experience was for guys like John and other people. And for and for him, you know, his experience is for somebody else because I actually had a guy write me on Facebook a message, and I didn't even know the guy. He was a perfect stranger. I'd never heard of him, and we didn't know each other from anybody. And he was two weeks back from a deployment, and he was telling me he was considering killing himself and that somebody had turned him on to my website and it gave him some hope, and he decided he didn't want to. And I'm just saying that as a, a matter of, I thank God he made that right decision, not because I had anything to do with it or that I would ever take some sort of credit because I would never. But it turns out, <laughs> the guy who wrote me that, I had no idea, but months later I learned he's good with my buddy who I helped. That was the connection. I didn't know that was the connection. And so I, I, I spoke into one man's life. He spoke into another man's life. As a result, neither of them made that stable decision that would have just torn their families apart for generations to come. And so when I say it again, you know, whatever you go through in life, if it's difficult, I don't believe it's for you. It's for somebody else. Thank you very much, Brian. Our guest today on Motivation with a Purpose has been author and veteran Brian Fleming, author of Redeployed. Join us next time on Motivation with a Purpose right here on TalkZone.com. 